Hey, welcome back to Accidental Gods, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. Our concept remains that we are a hyper-complex system on the edge of either chaos and collapse into extinction or emergence into a whole new phase of being. And that that new phase of being is entirely unpredictable from the point of where we are now. No problem is solved from the mindset that created it. But we have the capacity to change our mindsets. In the last podcast, we opened up the amazing, sparkly world of neuroscience in an effort to show how we might get there. We got to grips with Hebb's postulate that what fires together wires together. I really hope that one sank home. We looked at why we might want to be able to curate our own thoughts and feelings. And then we unpicked the first two of the four ways that we might grow into coherence, which is the second step in our dance towards conscious evolution. And those two steps were close focus and open focus meditations. In this podcast, I want to go on and look at the two remaining key modes of contemplative practice that we need to get to grips with if we're going to make the best of ourselves, particularly if we're going to grow into coherence. And these are heart-focused meditation and intent-focused meditation. When we've covered those, then I want to go on and look at the last two remaining steps in the dance, which are asking for help and letting go. So let's crack on with heart-focused meditation. One of the core meditations that people learn whenever they first come to westernized Buddhism is what we called the metta bhavna many years ago when I first learned it and what I think may be called metta now. The process of feeling compassion, absolute heart-blazing, heart-burning, heart-filling compassion for ourselves and then for other people and then expanding that gradually, step by step, to cover the whole world. And the impact of that, the physiological impact of that, the psycho-spiritual impact of that is huge. And an enormous amount of work has been done over the past few decades, led originally by the Dalai Lama and then done by a whole host of places around the world. Looking at, first of all, how can we do this? How can we do it in ordinary life without needing to spend eight hours a day practicing it in a monastery? And then what is it that happens that helps us to stand in balance in the world, to become balanced human beings who can take our place in the web, because this is one of the key parts to that. If you're interested in looking at the work on this, then the Heart Math Institute is probably a good place to start, but they are definitely not the only place, and and some of the real cutting-edge stuff is being done by people who are putting their own money into this around the world, because it is so central to what we need to do. So what the studies have shown is that we are not isolated individuals and our heads are not isolated within us, that there is as much connection from heart to head as there is from head to heart, and actually there is as much connection from gut to head as there is from head to gut. So head mind, heart mind and gut mind exist in an integral and totally interconnected whole. We have a tendency to lock ourselves in our heads 
and ignore the rest of our bodies until they get so sick that we can't ignore them anymore. And part of what this is teaching us is that if we can focus on our heart minds and become more coherent, then everything else will begin to flow much more cleanly and clearly and our lives will be more in balance. So specifically what we're learning is that when we're stressed or despondent or in despair or angry or any of the other things that leave our minds jagged, then our hearts also become disordered and the rhythm of our hearts becomes irregular and jagged. And there's something called heart rate variability, which looks not at the PQRS complex, which you all know what it looks like because you've all seen, I'm sure, the medical soaps. You would probably have a decent idea of what it looked like when it went out of alignment um, without necessarily knowing exactly what each part of PQRS comes from and what it means. But what people are beginning to study now is not what the actual complex looks like. The thing that fascinates me when I was an anaesthetist and cardiologists now, but the distance between the complexes and the height of the peaks. And if you plot that out, you get what is called a heart rate variability plot. And you find that when we're in sympathetic overload and our sympathetic systems run the fight and flight and freeze and faint and what physiologists have started to call fiddle about because they want alliteration without swearing, um, this is our stress response. And when you measure heart rate variability with that, it too is jagged. It looks like a set of mountain peaks and it rises and falls with our breathing, but it doesn't rise and fall smoothly. When we're in parasympathetic dominance and our parasympathetic is our unstress branch of our autonomic nervous system, the one that controls our breathing and our, particularly our digestion and urine production and, and all of the stuff that just basically keeps us alive, the, the endocrine outflow that keeps us moving, then we move into relaxation and we get another particular pattern of our heart rate variability. But in the middle, there is something called heart coherence, which is linked to psychospiritual and psychophysiological coherence. And the pattern of that looks more like a sine wave in that it's smooth and it's very regular. And the pattern of our hearts is overlaid by the pattern of our breathing. But even within that, there is a rise and a fall that is very modular and very regular. And that links to this state of coherence, of psychospiritual coherence, which is not the absence of relaxation. If we're just vegging out on the sofa and we're completely relaxed, there is a tendency for our minds to be wandering. We're not really thinking about anything in particular because we're not stressed. But we're also not very sharp. We're not very clear. We're fuzzy at the edges. And in this place of coherence, there is clarity. This is a place where we are strong-hearted, open-hearted, full-hearted and clear-hearted. And we are clear of mind and body as well. Coherence has a clarity to it and a sense of being fully present in the moment that is absent when we are either relaxed or stressed. In particular with stress, we can't get into this because when we are stressed, the signals from our brain to our heart and from our heart back to our brain are such that it tends to shut down our cerebral cortex, 
we spoke in a previous podcast about how much slower our cerebral cortex functions than our midbrain, where our decisions are made. And in moments of stress, which in our evolutionary past was when the saber-toothed tiger was about to leap out of the bushes, or when the opposing tribe was assaulting us, or when something dramatic was happening that required not that we pause and think about it, but that we act in the moment. Now, we leap off the path. We defend whatever we care about. We have to act without thinking, because thinking is slow. And so the entire sympathetic feedback loop precludes decent thought, and we have a tendency to act on impulse. And most of our actions on impulse are not great. They're probably not great decisions, unless we have got really clear impulse loops built already, which we may get to in coming the best of ourselves. But at the moment, for most of us, impulse loops are not great decisions. Vegging out loops tend to be slow and slurred and we go into habit patterns and we watch television or we surf Facebook or we get onto Twitter and then we get all into our sympathetics and start screaming at people in not very many characters. And neither of these is conducive to us becoming the best of ourselves. So what we would like to achieve is the sense of openness and clarity that comes with coherence. So the question is, how do we do this? And the key is, like everything else, being aware that what fires together, wires together. We need to be able to identify our inner emotional states, the ones that we like, the ones that we don't like, the ones that we want to foster, and the ones that we don't want to foster. And we need to find pathways to those. I do dog training and horse training, and one of the greatest of our dog trainers, Kay Williams, says that the path between excitement and calm needs to be well-trodden in horses and in dogs. And for us, the path to coherence needs to be well-trodden so that we can find the emotional states within each of us that promotes coherence, that promotes stability and clarity and the strong-minded, full-minded, open-minded space that we want to get to. And it may not be the same for each of us, although we will be drawing on the same range of feelings. We will be drawing on joy and hope and compassion and love and gratitude and awe and wonder and entrancement and that sense of heart-exploding glory that happens when we see something truly beautiful, a sunset, a flower, a view, something that we hold beautiful. And if we can find those emotional states, and if we can draw on them, and if we can learn the pathways back to them by practicing them over and over and over again, then we begin to recognize what they feel like inside of us. And from personal experience, it feels as if my heart has grown bigger, and it feels hot. It feels as if there is a fire there, partly because I practice building a fire. We also sometimes practice building a flower. We can build different things. And in the process of building these is a very strong physical sensation that is linked to that place of heart coherence. In the process of getting here, I have to say I went through long periods of extreme heart pain. And in doing the shamanic journeys to ask what this was about, I was told 
This is what a broken heart feels like when it's mending. And I offer you that because I think this is possibly a pathway that some of you will need to go through or may enjoy going through. It was a revelatory process for me and it changed entirely my sense of who I am and my sense of how I am in the world. So the practice of feeling this, the practice of returning to these places, is a core part of what we want to do as part of Accidental Gods. We'll be doing it in the online programme and we will be doing it particularly in the courses that we run. This is something that lends itself really well to practising in a group. Because one of the things that the recent work has shown is that if you are in heart coherence, in full psychospiritual coherence, then it's easier for me to reach that place too and for the people on either side of us, and for everybody else in the room. And if we have a couple of dozen people, or a couple of hundred of us, or even a couple of thousand of us looking forward into the future, then the energy of that can make a real difference to everyone within that environment. This is where real, deep healing happens. It's where collective action begins to shift all of us, and I really want us to get to a place where we can practice this. So let's let that be for a moment. We're practicing this in the program. We're going to talk about it a lot. I want to move on now to the fourth of the contemplative techniques that we want to use because this brings all of the others together. It requires each of the others as a baseline. And this is intent-focused meditation. This is what we do when we focus our attention to create an intention and we build a feeling behind that intention how we will feel if that intention arises. So we're building the feeling that goes with the intention until it feels real for us. And this is the kind of thing that's sold all around the world as the latest thing to help you win the lottery. And it may well be that it works for that. But I would like to suggest that we use it to build our way to the next evolutionary step, to the conscious evolution that we're aiming for, and we cannot get there in one leap, unless one of you wants to get in touch and tell the rest of us exactly what conscious evolution will look and feel like. And if you know, please, please do tell us. But as interim steps, we can build our way forwards. What would it feel like to be the best that I can be? If I really unpick that for me, if you unpick that for you, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What archetypes can we bring in, each of us, to help us know what it looks like and what it feels like? What are the mythologies out of which we grow? What are the narratives that we can tell ourselves? What are the dreams that we can dream? There is a lot of dreaming built into this. I have not spent the last 16 years teaching dreaming to not be teaching it here as well. And it's in this building of intent focus that our stories and our dreams and our archetypes all begin to give us a shape and a felt sense of who it is that we're growing into being. But it does require that we have the skill sets in the background to make it work. So my plan, our plan, and we are totally flexible on this, is that we work progressively on close focus first, and then on close focus and open focus. And then we have, when we've got to grips with that, we work on close focus, open focus, and heart focus. 
And then when we can do all three of those, when we have got the ability to keep focused on a single point, when we can spread that point so that we can balance on the knife edge of the moment and be fully present, when we can be fully present in a feeling state with which we are completely relaxed and comfortable and in which we are totally coherent, then we can begin to build the heart intent practices of how I would like to feel as I grow into being the best of myself. And along with that, at the same time, we will also have been working on our connections to the elements, to water, to fire, to earth, to air, and then progressively to the rest of the natural world, to the rocks, to the trees, to the forests, to the mycelial mats beneath the forests, to the river, to the ocean, to the mountain, to the red kite, to the hawk, to the crow, to the toad, to the wildcat, to the stag, to everything that is in the world around us. And when we have all of that, then we will be able to ask for help. So, to recap, we have looked already at reawakening into connection. And we've looked mostly at why we want to do that. I want to talk about the how when we look at habits in the next podcast. We've talked at growing into coherence and we've looked at the four types of focus close focus, open focus, heart focus, heart intent focus, that will take us there. And now, when we've got those, I want to look at the remaining two steps in our dance, or perhaps they're the legs of our four-legged stool. I need a better metaphor and I haven't found one yet. So we have four parts, and we've got awakening into connection, growing into coherence, and now we have asking for help and letting go. So I hope it's totally obvious by now that asking for help is what I think we're here for. It's our part in the magic that is the web of life, the web of consciousness. We, as human beings, I believe are here for two things. One is to give thanks, and we will talk about that a lot in later podcasts. And the other is to take our part in the web of life and then ask, what are we here for? I really believe that this is what humanity is for. But to get to the point where we can ask without ego, without self-judgment or judgment of others or judgment of the answers, without fear and without projection, we have to be in a place of full coherence, mind, body and spirit. We have to be open and clear and utterly present in the moment. And we also need to have practiced asking and listening. We need to have built a really solid, grounded, authentic set of relationships with whatever speaks to us, based on trust and a history of asking questions and perceiving answers and of having things asked of us and of answering them. This is what we do when we live in context with the rest of the world around us. It's what our ancestors did. It's what the First Nations of each continent still do. So we have to hone our faculties of perception because the answers to our questions rarely come in plain text. They do sometimes, and I'm really happy to talk about the few occasions when I've had plain text. But more often, things are metaphoric and we each arise out of different mythologies with different archetypes, with different histories, with different dreams. And only we can possibly interpret the metaphors and the dreams that come to us. This is really important. 
please throw away any dream interpretation books you have or books that tell you what spirit animals mean or anything of that order because each of us needs to make the interpretations based on our own experience. We are here to help, absolutely. And there are other people who can help you. I don't, we don't have any kind of monopoly on this. But the learning to perceive, the feeling of answers is a very, very personal thing and it comes with practice. We ask a question, we hear something that we think might be an answer, we act on it. And that honing of that, that firing and wiring of that pathway grows as we learn to trust it. Trust grows over time and we need to have built that level of trust. So the take home from this is that we need to practice asking for help until we're confident that we can trust answers that are authentic and clear and constructive. We need all three of these. And then when we have all of this, when we have awakened into connection, when we have grown into coherence, when we have practiced asking for help, then we need to let go of all that we believe to be true. No problem is solved from the mindset that created it. And however much we have changed our mindsets, we are still the products of our age. And we are endeavouring to step into a new age. So we need to take the empty-handed leap into the void, holding only to our coherence, our sense of self balanced on the knife edge of the moment so that we are pure awareness. With only enough of that awareness to know that what we're there for is to ask for help in the void, in that fertile space of all becoming where all certainty has gone and we are absolutely open to hearing what it is that we need to do in the moment. And no, I don't think this is trivial. And I really don't think it's a one-hit event. This is not something we build to and we do it once and then there's some flash of light and we all ascend to a different space. This is something we build to and then we do it over and over again because it's not easy. And we may not get to it each time and it does take practice. And my own experience is that there are times in the void when letting go is really easy and other times when it's really hard. And that's fine. But I do believe that if there are enough of us practicing this, then what opens from this space will let us know where we need to go next. I talked in a previous podcast about this sense of driving in fog and only going as far as the headlights let us see. This is as far as the headlights have let me go. But when we get there, all of us, we will see more of the path ahead and we will look back and see more of where we've been. And there will be structures that we can pick up and carry forward and there will be new things that we need to know. So that's it for now. Next podcast we're going to look at habits and then we're going to look a little bit more at emerging from complex systems because I think that'll be fun. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you to Caro C for the music and for being the amazing sound engineer that cuts all my wibbles and puts them together and makes something coherent. Thanks to Faith Tillery for being the absolute techno guru and for being the other half of all of the creation of this. If you want to read more, if you want to join up to the membership program, we are accidentalgods.life and probably, possibly, at accidentalgods somewhere else on social media. 
If you like the sound of this, if you want to tell your friends, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us five stars and a review. That would be nice to help get the word out. And also, please tell people that you know. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your colleagues, tell anybody you know who wants to become the best that they can be, but who is also interested in this project to be the next step, to be the caterpillar and then the chrysalis and be the butterfly emerging from all of that into something that we cannot know, but we can imagine will be better than the best of all of us put together. So until then, thank you for listening and see you next time.